0: Hi everyone, welcome to this special edition of Sacred Musings. I say special edition; it's actually the sermon that I preached at our church on Sunday morning a couple of days ago. It's looking at the resurrection, and it's on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 34. Uh, the reason I wanted to include it here was because I think it it is directly relevant to the um, what we're thinking about uh, about uh, living uh, this year. You know, looking at, um, at what it means to live. And so, just as a little extra, if you want to look. um, in a bit more detail about what the bible says what a particular bible passage says about uh, about living and about how we should live then this is a really good passage uh, to be thinking about and um, although i don't really go into into very much in terms of um, what the passage has to say about covid um, that i think you know it is relevant and i hope that you'll be able to 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 see that um, yourselves, and you know, kind of see where I'm going, um, and uh, it may be something that I pick up on um, in a couple of days when I do the the podcast. So I hope that you enjoy. It's audio only. Um, I'm afraid. So if you're watching this on YouTube, then um, you'll just get the audio. If you're listening onto the podcast. Um, you, you know you won't notice um, so I hope that you enjoy let me know uh, your thoughts in the comments below uh, if you appreciate it and um, yeah I'll see you for the podcast back um, on Thursday I hope you enjoy well the uh, the other day I was reminded that it is the uh, anniversary of uh, Jim Elliott's uh, death you may know Jim Elliott uh, he was a a missionary an American missionary and he, he was um, a, a young man he, uh, he went to be a missionary in Ecuador and uh, he wanted to reach a, a people group, a tribe, who lived in the middle of the jungle, who were inaccessible uh, in other places, called the Wayadoni uh, tribe. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Uh, and he had a, a wife who was newly married, had a baby, and uh, they um, were looking for a place to, to land their, their plane. They managed to find a sort of sandbar in the middle of the river which was appropriate to land a plane so they landed and um, they put the plane down Uh, there were five of them they met they actually made contact with the tribe and it and it was great Uh, but unfortunately one of the the tribesmen who they called george uh, lied to the other to the rest of the tribe about their their purposes and the next time they landed the plane the tribe were lying in wait for them and all five of them were killed And that happened on uh, January the 8th, 1956, and uh, Jim Elliott was uh, 29 years old, leaving behind a wife and a a very young baby at that point. And uh, you might think, you know, what on earth would the world make of that? You know, what, what would cause someone to do something so reckless, so risky? You know, you might think, well, what a tragic waste of life that's what people that's what people would think isn't it you know what a tragic waste of a young life why would you do that but it's not just people who've who've given up their lives Um, I think back to the church I grew up in um, the person who led our our youth group a chap called Keith um, he was uh, he had a full-time job and he used to spend an evening a week with us and he said that his work colleagues couldn't understand why he would give up his time in the evening to spend time with us teenagers. They couldn't understand it. And you know, for all of us here, you know, we're all come here on a Sunday morning, and yet you know, we know that there are a lot of people out there in our town, in our parish, who are not here in church on this Sunday morning. You know, why is it that we've chosen to come here and other people uh, haven't and I guess the question is, you know, why is it that our lives should look any different at all to the kind of lives that people are living out there? You know, why is it that, that our lives should look any different? What is it about, about us, about what the Bible says, that should make any difference? And that's what we are going to be thinking about as we pick up again from one Corinthians fifteen, as Mark was saying a few minutes ago, that this is just continuing what we were looking at uh, before Advent. Um, so we finished off in um, the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. So we're now looking from uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. If you're using the church Bibles, it's page 1156. Um, but uh, I know most of you look at the, the screen, which is fine as well. So just to remind you that the church in Corinth, they were keen. You know, they were um, uh, enthusiastic, but they were very immature. We know that there were big problems... In the church in Corinth, moral problems, all sorts of things going on in the church, and one of the things that they must have been saying was, as it says in verse twelve, "How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead?" So that must have been one of the things that uh, that people were saying. And so Paul, um, we're going to spend most of the time looking at the, the final paragraph, but you know the first two paragraphs. I'm going to go through a bit more. It's quite a complicated argument, so we won't go through everything in great detail. But Paul gives a litany of reasons why that would be terrible. If there was no resurrection, what would the consequences be? Well, he says, if there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. Not even Christ has been raised. And if that's the case, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith, says in verse 14. And he says, more than that, Verse 15, we're we're found to be false witnesses about God. He says the apostles, you know, we are liars. If Christ has not been raised, because we said that Christ has been raised, and if he hasn't, then we are liars. So you can't trust anything that we say. And then he says, verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Your faith is futile. And just think about that that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. And he says, verse 18, those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And um, I was thinking about that actually when we were thinking about um, Eileen just at the start of the service. You know, thinking that actually that's one of the big differences, isn't it, with a, uh, knowing that there is a Christian who's died. Uh, we know that she has gone to glory, go, gone to her, her reward to be with the Lord. And it's far better for her now. And there is great hope. Um, so it's a pretty bleak picture. As Paul says in verse uh, 19, if there's no resurrection, if only for this life we have ho- uh, hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It says if, if we only hope in Christ for this life, then pity us. Pity us. It just makes our lives into a big cosmic joke, doesn't it? What's the point in, in going to church? What's the point in reading the Bible? What's the point in praying or anything at all if Jesus Christ has not been raised? If Christ has not been raised, we may as well all give up and go home. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. It's all futile. And Jim Elliot I mean, that's just a big cosmic joke, isn't it? Giving you a life for Christ. That's the worst thing that you could possibly do. But, he says, that's not the case. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those uh, who have fallen asleep. So Christ has indeed been raised. But why is, that, why is that good news? Why is that good news? And he says Christ is the firstfruits the first roots of those who've fallen asleep now I, I'm not a, a great uh, green fingers as, as you know um, I know a lot of you into gardens and gardening um, but I, I, that's not me particularly um, but you know when I have had a little dabble from time to time you know in our, our old house in Colchester uh, when we moved in there was nothing in the back garden you know there was grass and a shed so um, we planted a few things with the help of Uh, Of my wife's parents they're quite good at at that kind of thing they helped us so we planted up some flowers we planted up borders and what have you and we planted a couple of little it was a small garden just a couple of miniature fruit trees we planted this miniature plum tree and uh, an apple tree and at that first year that we planted it there was nothing on the plum tree but on the apple tree there was one apple and i was really pleased to see that apple (laughs) because for one it it meant that we planted the right kind of tree Um, but but for two it meant that it was it was going to fruit you know it was a fruiting kind of a tree seeing that one apple gave me a lot of confidence that there would be fruit in in due course ironically actually thinking back the apple tree didn't produce much the plum tree went crazy and had loads but anyway that's um it, it never, never goes the way you expect, does it? Uh, but this is, this is what Paul is saying, that Jesus is like the first fruits. You know, he, he's the one that we see now, which shows what's going to happen in the future. So we see Jesus now, but he's the first fruits of that, that new creation. And this is also the thing. Again, we don't have time to go through all of uh, Paul's arguments, but he's saying Jesus is the beginning. Of a new world it's a new world order he says there in verse 22 uh, as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive you know you think back think back to Genesis and Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God at the fruit and they that was when the curse when sin entered the world wasn't it that was when death entered the world That was when everything wrong that is with the world entered the world. It was when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And it was through Adam that Paul says that death and sin and everything wrong entered the world. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is bringing about a whole new world, the kind of world where sin doesn't exist anymore, where death doesn't exist anymore, where where pain and illness... And everything wrong with the world that we know doesn't exist it will just be a world which is the kind of world that god wants you know the kind of world where there is goodness and righteousness there is no sin at all and no death and we often think about resurrection as a uh, a very individual thing you know that at the end of um, you know, when Christ returns, those who've died in Christ will rise again. And, and it's, it's right to say that, because that is, that is true, isn't it? But it's more than that. Now, the resurrection is not just a personal thing, that, that we rise again. But it's a whole new world thing. It's saying that there will be a new world, and that we'll be part of that new world. That The resurrection is a guarantee, not just of our own personal Resurrection, but of a new world that we'll be part of and that Jesus has, has started to bring about now. Do you remember a few weeks ago in our Advent series, we were looking at the upside down Christmas and we looked at one week at the upside down world and we were saying how the world as it is at the moment is upside down. You know, this is an upside down world, but God is going to turn that world the right way up. And that's what the resurrection is a guarantee of, that there will come a day when there will be a right way up world, a world of righteousness and goodness, no death, no pain and so on. So how should we live? And that's the question that we really need to think, isn't it? This is, it's all very, very well to think about the resurrection in, in general terms, in academic terms, but what difference does that actually make To how we live and this is this is where we're going now this is what Paul goes on to at the end and he contrasts two different uh, mindsets two different ways of thinking the worldly mindset and the godly mindset and so uh, we'll start by thinking about the worldly mindset he says there in, in verse 32 if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now, what is that saying? It's like if there's no resurrection, if there's nothing beyond the grave, then we might as well live for whatever we can get out of this life. Because this is all there is. You know, you're not getting any, anything else after this. So you might as well just live for everything that you can get out of this life. And um, that's called secular. That's what secular means. You know, we're often told we live in a secular society. That's what secular means. It means a focus on this world, not thinking at all about uh, the world to come. And that's what people do. And you can see people, um, you know, I, I started out by, by thinking, well, where are, where are the people who aren't in church today? Well, people are, I don't know, doing their shopping maybe, uh, spending time with their family. Um, washing their car quite a common thing to do on a Sunday you see on on the way home sometimes Um, watching the TV maybe catching up on a bit of sleep after the night before Um, when I used to have a you know proper job um, some of my work colleagues would live for the weekend and uh, that's quite a common thing isn't it you know going out and um, you know having too much to drink uh, at the weekend that's what a lot of people live for Um, Sadly, that is life for some people. So, you know, people do uh, live just for getting everything out of this life that they can, squeezing every ounce of of pleasure as they see it from this life as they can. I think there is a a kind of equal and opposite way of thinking as well, which I just want to mention, which is also, um, you know, you can say, well, we're going to die. So we want to put off death as long as possible. So we want to make sure that you know the life that we live is as long as possible, because we want to put that off and don't want to think. and it is true, I think a lot of modern people don't think very much about death. Um, I was reading in the newspaper a few years ago now about death cafes. Have you come across death cafes before? If you've heard of this it's it's a it's a a worldwide thing, but they're not as as common as um some other things but um it's just a, a chance for people to talk about death. This is what they say about themselves. At a death cafe, people drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. Our aim is to increase awareness of death to help people make the most of their finite lives. And that's, that's the thing, isn't it? That in today's world, we need that because death is, is the taboo subject, isn't it? We mustn't talk about it. He must pretend it doesn't happen. He mustn't talk about death. And so they have to have death cafes so that people can deal with a subject which we don't really like to deal with as, as uh, modern people. It's really struck me over the la- uh, sort of last couple of weeks, both my, my wife and I, we've both been reading books about um, historical events. So my wife's been reading uh, Wolf Hall, which is about Thomas Cromwell in you know, the 16th century. And I've been reading about uh, John Wesley, from the, uh, the 18th century. And it's really struck me, actually, I mean, just as a, an incidental thing, but how much death there was. It was so much more common that, you know, John Wesley had at least three uh, brothers and sisters who didn't survive beyond infancy. And he had a friend um, who died of tuberculosis when he was in his early 20s. And that was just so common. You know, death was just a part of, a part of life in a way that it isn't today. Now, modern medicine has really um, it meant that we live so much longer that it's almost pushed death to the back of our minds, isn't it? You know, we think that modern medicine can cure everything. And I do wonder over the last couple of years whether that has influenced the way that we've responded to the pandemic in a way that we never have before. Now I think it's worth pondering this about our mindset and thinking through uh, what that means. So how should we live? How should we live? That's the question that we want to know now. If that's the, the secular mindset, the worldly mindset, how should we live? And this is what Paul is saying. There are two things that I want to mention and then we'll, we'll finish with these two. The first thing he says is that, uh, verse 30 and 31, As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, just as surely as I boast about you. Paul puts himself at risk. He willingly and knowingly, with his eyes open, puts himself and his life at risk for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of obeying. Paul was confident in the resurrection. He was confident in what was to come. And so he said, I can entrust myself to the Lord and put myself at risk for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of God. And I think the message is that we should be uh, risk takers for God. It's right uh, to take risks uh, for the Lord. Not in a foolhardy way. But in a godly way. uh, Because that is the the way of of God. So for example let me read you uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Uh, For the spirit God gave us. Does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So those of us who are filled with the Spirit should not be timid, but should be uh, looking to see what God would have us do. And seeing, even if that means taking a risk, it means we should say, "I, I will obey, I will seek the Lord's will. That doesn't mean we all need to become Jim Elliot's and fly off to to remote tribes in the middle of the jungle. Uh, Not many of us will have that calling. Some do. Not many of us will have that calling or or become martyrs. But I just wonder if, you know, it's the, the mindset thing, isn't it? You know, we need to be thinking and praying, Lord, what would you have me do with my life? I give my life to you. What would you have me do? How would you have me live? What can I do for you? Even if that means doing things which may appear to others, to the world, to be risky. How can we be risk-takers for God? Something to think about, I think, over this coming week. And the second thing that I wanted to pick up that Paul says, the the last two verses there, verses 33 and 34, do not be misled. Uh, Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. So Paul says that, We need to start living holy lives in the here and now. He's saying that there's a new world coming and that we will one day, those of us who who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, will one day be part of that new world. We're looking forward to it. We're looking ahead to it. And it's a world where righteousness dwells, where there's no more sin. And Paul says, how, if you're looking forward to that new world where there's no more sin, can we willingly continue to live in these ways? Now, Obviously, you know, um, we can't eradicate sin from our lives. That's not something which can happen before, before we die, before we are, are with Jesus. We're not expecting that to happen. But it's a question of, of having that vision, isn't it? Do we have that vision for that that kind of world, for that kind of life? Is, Is the life that we're living now more in line with the next world or more in line with this world? And that's the choice that we have. Are we living in line with the way that the world does things? Or are we living in line with the way that we will one day do things in the new creation? That's what Paul is saying, that the resurrection means that we start to live now risen lives we're united to christ we're united to christ in his death and we are united to his resurrection also And we start to live his risen life even in a small way in the here and now and so what would that mean for you and i and so let's uh, let's be thinking about these things this coming this coming week Let's think about what it means to be uh, godly risk-takers, not reckless, uh, but godly risk-takers. And let's think about what it means to proclaim the truth of the new creation, not just as as individuals, but as a church. And what does that mean to live as, as children of that new creation, proclaiming the way that things will one day be? And let's ask for God's help and God's power as we we saw this is not something that we can do in our own strength. And this is something that we need God's help with. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to give us that, that power and uh, that love and that, uh, and that self-control. And so let's finish by asking God to help us uh, over this coming week to think through what these things mean for us and to, to pray for his help in living this, uh, those kind of lives this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we give you thanks for the resurrection. And we give you thanks that you have uh, defeated death in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that this uh, gives us um, confidence, assures us, that you are bringing about a new world. A new world where everything is is put under your feet, where death is destroyed and every evil thing is, is gone. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to know uh, what that means for us, how we are to live, uh, how we to live as individuals, how we are to be as a church. We pray that you would help us to live every day in the light of Christ's resurrection, uh, to be godly risk takers and to be people who proclaim the truth of the new creation. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to have that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, every day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.